Bonaziwa. Welcome to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name's Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular life and tons of thoughts and opinions. So I come here about every week or so to unleash them. I'm a co-owner and operator of Nuasis Brewing Company, which is a microbrewery in Corpus Christi, Texas. And I've always got a couple other irons in the fire, if you know what I mean. One thing about me, I don't do pre-recorded intros. I've got quite a bit to talk about today, especially because I skipped last week. And uh, last week, it was such a nice day outside, and the weather was so gorgeous, and it was still kind of in the middle of the holiday break. And all the big-time podcaster guys took the week off, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to take the week off, too. I could use a week without getting paid for my podcast. Oh, wait. I never get paid for my podcast. But I would love for someone to step in as a show sponsor. Listen. I will do it for free. You heard it here, folks. I'll do it for free. Just contact me, and I'll speak for you. And I won't be a punk. Okay, on to the real show. Thanks for tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast. Sit back, relax, and hand the steering wheel over to me for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. up party people for those of you that thought that I was gone for good I'm back only one week off I think I've got a pretty long show today I don't know for sure I've got a decent amount of notes in my old note taker but you know sometimes they go long when I think they're gonna go short and sometimes they do the opposite but I'm gonna go ahead and just dive on in here the first thing I'm gonna talk about you probably could have guessed it the mask, and believe it or not, I have one segment about the COVID and the mask, and then that's it. No more for the rest of the day, unless something just pops into my head, but I don't have anything planned. You know, I think everyone knows that I'm done with the mask. I've said it before. I'm done with the mask mandate. I'm perfectly fine with businesses saying whether or not people come in with masks on, but one day, one day, Everyone will have to decide on their own when they're going to quit wearing a mask. Because the government will not come out and they will not say, okay, it's safe to not wear masks anymore. That's my prediction. I could be wrong. It's happened before. Not very often, but it happens. I suspect everyone will have to make their own decision on when they will quit wearing masks. Because really, there's no more mask mandate. There's no more... There's no more requiring of anyone to wear masks. That's gone. And as time goes by, as we have more and more data sets and more and more information, 
we're seeing that they don't really do much because you look at places like California, whose numbers are going crazy right now. Hospitals are full. People are dying in the streets, all that stuff. And they have the most strict rules there are. And no one's willing to step forward and crunch the numbers and say, hey, guys, all this stuff that's making people mad and creating a division between people and causing people to fight, causing people to lose their business, causing people to get canceled, all that stuff that we're all fighting about, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. So when I say it doesn't matter, I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of restrictions you put. It doesn't matter how many masks you wear. It doesn't matter how you feel about people not wearing masks. Those are the things that are dividing people. And if we can look at the data and we can say, hey, maybe we should not do all this stuff to keep people from fighting like brother and sister. Maybe we should look at the numbers and say, hey, you know what, guys? Masks are now optional. We don't, we don't need to encourage the people to wear masks. We don't need businesses to require. We don't need businesses to feel like they need to require it to keep people safe because that has a, an inverse effect on things. It causes people to be angry with one another. It has a negative effect. And if we can eliminate the pieces of the puzzle that make people angry with one another and combative and willing to argue, then that's the direction that we need to head. If, if we can lift the expectation that masks saves people, if we can remove that, then maybe we could start coming back together. And while I, you know, it sounds utopian, I don't think so. I'm going to touch on this more a little bit later today. But I think all, all is lost. I think that we're, we are divided, we are staying divided, and it'll take something catastrophic to bring us together. And even then, I don't know if it will happen. But going back to the mask thing, in order for people to say, hey, we've now changed our mind, and you can wear masks if you want to, but we're not going to necessarily encourage it. You see, people won't do that because it's admitting that the first round of mandates and forcing was wrong. And more people, well, let me say it, most people are more concerned about pride and being right than they are doing what's best for everyone. We don't shame people for not wearing their seatbelt. We don't shame people for not wearing a helmet on a motorcycle. I'm, I'm sick and tired of the shaming. I really am. It's, and I, I don't care. It does not bother me. I walk into a store with no mask on. I stay six feet away from people. I'm not an idiot, okay? I don't go breathing on top of people. I don't let people stand on top of me. I use common sense. Sometimes I stand eight feet away from people. Sometimes there's nothing you can do and you get four feet away. And you know what? That's just a danger we're going to have to live with. That's the exact same danger we live with with the flu. If we can just eliminate the requiring and the judgment of people and things that don't necessarily work, we would be better off. But now it's an emotional cliff. There's an edge there. But what excites me, as I started off, what excites me is the fact that unless people are going to wear masks for the rest of their life, which some may very well do that, they're going to have to pick and choose when they're going to stop wearing one. And you know what? I promise not to judge anyone or say I told you so. 
I will welcome you with open arms to the non-masked world. But keep in mind, for all you people that think we got to live, breathe, die, eat, and sleep in our masks, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. And the day you quit wearing your mask, I'm going to take note. And I'm not going to say a word, but I will take note and we'll file it away. We have the data. We have the information. If you present it in a manner that suggests we should stop wearing masks, then you're a evil, scoundrel, old person-hating, dumb redneck. And that's silly. It's silly. Because I thought we were supposed to, quote, trust the science. Trust the science. And we've got no science saying that masks work. We have very, very little bit saying they don't work. Not really much on either side. If that's the case, let people make their own freaking decisions, okay? Thank you. You know, I talked before about um, wiping away college loan debt and how that was silly and nonsense and babble talk. But it led me to thinking about how, you know, we pushed everyone to go to college. We told them, we scared them. We, we showed them pictures of guys, plumbers and electricians, and we said, hey, uh, if you don't go to college, you're going to end up like one of these guys. And then what did everyone do? They hauled off. They went to college. What did that do? It drove down the value of a college degree. If you don't believe me, go to any retail store and do a survey there and see how many people folding clothes and putting them on shelves have a college degree. And see how many people that are packing up to-go boxes at restaurants have college degrees. The number's astounding. So what do I think? I think they're overrated. College degrees are overrated. Sure, they're valuable to some people. But we should not convince people that they're college material when they're not. Because there's plenty of jobs out there that, while they might not be glamorous, okay, you might not be an engineer, you're not going to be a doctor or a lawyer, but you know what? You can own a plumbing company. You can own a plumbing supply company. You can own a mechanic shop. You can work as a mechanic and make... I know a guy that's a diesel mechanic... I think his rate's like $60 an hour, 60 bucks an hour. Now, yeah, he's been doing it a long time, but he's worked for Ford, Ford Motor Company, you know, for his whole career, probably 45 years. He's going to have a phenomenal retirement. He has a ton of time off. He probably makes, you know, with overtime, he probably makes $130,000 a year, maybe 140. I mean, what, what else do you want? I mean, let's just say that that's the average American life, which... I know it's not, but it could be. It could be if we didn't try to tell people, hey, you need to go accrue $100,000 in debt and then learn a bunch of junk that you'll never use. And then when you get out, you'll have to go find a job making $12 to $15 per hour. If we did a better job assessing younger people's skills, they could, they could enter the job place earlier, at an earlier age. There's no reason that... A, a 16-year-old or 17-year-old needs to go to 11th or 12th grade if they're not going to college. If they're not playing sports and they don't really like school and they don't do well and they don't study well and they don't take tests well and they don't enjoy being there, why are they there? Why don't we get them enrolled in some program that teaches them a trade, how to work, how to weld, how to do electrical, how to do plumbing, how to do automotive body work? I mean, there's so many things that we could start people younger, pay them a lower wage while they're learning. But people say, oh, well, you, you don't know what you're going to do at 16. You don't know what you want to do with your life. Yeah, you know what? You're right. But let's make that decision now when they're 15, 16 years old and come to the realization at a younger age with less time lost. 
and then they can flip and maybe they can go down a different path. I think what we're seeing is a bunch of people that, that don't really want to work. And so they just kind of go to school thinking it's just going to be a big party. And they limp through school, you know, six years, seven years to get an undergrad degree along with all their buddies. And then they finish and no one can get jobs. And what do we do? We want to pay off their debt. We want to pay off their debt. Yes, yes, you're, you're old enough for the, to, to vote for the president. You're old enough to buy alcohol, old enough to buy cigarettes. You're old enough to engage in gambling. So if you're old enough to do all that, we assume that you're responsible enough to do all that. But you're not responsible enough or capable of signing a document that says, I'm borrowing this much money and I will pay it back at this rate. No, they've, they've all been tricked. They, they were all just tricked. Come on, dude. I know of guys who are in the oil field that barely finished high school that haven't flown on a commercial airplane in 20 years because they've flown on private airplanes, private planes, jets, no college. And I know some people are thinking, well, that's an anomaly. That doesn't happen very often. And maybe it doesn't, but, but we're proving that it can happen, that people do do it. It is attainable. My final sentiments are, we should stop. As a nation, we should stop convincing people to go to college. They will know if they go to college. And, and college isn't the, it's not the predictor of how well you do in life. I think that there's a, the types of people who do well in college, the next step for them is to do well in life. But when we take the people who don't enjoy college, they don't like the academics, they don't like to study, they don't like that, and we put them there, now they're in a position to work in a job they don't like, doing things they don't like in a field they don't like. I don't know. It seems crazy to me. College has become a business. We need to admit it. We just need to admit that they're here for profit. They're trying to make money. The more people they have enroll, the more money they make. Even the state schools. So let's, let's stop saying everyone needs to go to college and start saying everyone needs to focus on their career from the time they're 16. And I don't mean like pick it, dive in, do it, you know, forever. I just mean start thinking about what you like. I oftentimes ask parents, like, what do you think your kid's going to be when they grow up? And it surprises me how many parents say, ah, I don't know. I really, I have no idea. I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see. Because, and maybe I'm wrong. Listen, I'm not a parent, so I don't know. I, I, do, not, I do not know. But I would like to think that if I ever had a kid... I'd be watching him his whole life. I'd be seeing what interests him. I'd be seeing what's, what he's good at, or her, or she. And I would say, hey, you should think about doing this. And things that they were good at and they excelled at, I would promote that. I would foster that. I would see where it goes. I feel like we just don't do enough of that. And so what do we do? We just convince our kids, that, oh, you got to go to college. Everybody's got to go to college. Got to go to college. Got to get that degree. Got to get that degree and go to college. I know two people who are brothers. One of them, well, they both started out in college. One of them decided very early on it was not for them. They were going to enter the workplace. At the, at the dismay of their parents, right? They were kind of disappointed. But he said, you know what? I've had enough. This is not for me. Go into the workplace. The other brother, he kept pushing. He'd, he'd get some bad grades. He'd, you know, he ran up a ton of debt. Um, and he finally finished and these two brothers are only like, I don't know, six, seven years apart in age. 
Maybe not even that far. I don't know for sure. But one of them, I would say, is doing very, very well. The other one, I would say, is lacking. Not Lacking in potential. Has the, has the ability to do way more. One of them has an extremely hardcore work ethic. Get things done. Um, nothing gets in my way. I will make this happen. And the other one? Just kind of pokes along. Now, listen, who am I to say what's best for anyone? I'm not. I'm not. If, the, if you don't like to work that much and you're willing to just put in a little bit of work for a little bit of money, hey, that is okay. That's what this country is about. As long as you are adding more than you're taking and you're, and you're not incapable, I'm okay with that. I'm just using this as an example to show that a college degree does not mean success. It, and that's even, that's, that's tough because how do you define success? Well, in this particular example, I'm using success as earnings, career, career path, uh, potential to become financially independent. Let's just say that. So while college is good for some, it is not good for all. And we should stop pretending like it is. Speaking of war zones... I have never, ever, ever in my life heard more fireworks being popped than what I heard on New Year's Eve in Corpus Christi, Texas in 2020, 2021. I mean, it sounded like a war zone. I bet you within a quarter mile radius of my house, uh, let's just say that there's probably 12 houses in that quarter mile radius. I bet you eight or nine of them were popping fireworks. I mean, it was crazy. I talked to my neighbors the next morning. I was like, is there always that many fireworks? And they were like, no, that was insane. It was like for like 30 minutes straight from 1145 to 1215. There was not like a split second of silence. It was pop, 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 pop. Pop, 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 And in between the little spaces of pops, there's pops in the distance. It's crazy. People can't be that poor. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, I wonder what the total dollar amount of fireworks is that's being popped. People take their stimulation money and they go pop it all. I mean, I've been to Thailand or Malaysia, I don't know, somewhere in Southeast Asia for New Year's. I've been in Central America and Nicaragua where they, hey, third world countries, they love fireworks. They love the, the bang, the pow. And I've been around when I thought I'd heard a lot, but I hadn't heard nothing compared to CCTX 2021 New Year's. It was crazy. Luckily, my dogs don't react to fireworks. I, um, at a young age, I make sure that they're good with it. I feel bad for the people who have dogs that freak out over fireworks. Speaking of freaking out, I'm going to talk about something that I talked about a while back, a little bit, I think, called the wealth gap. Now, as many of you know, there's lots of people out there who freak out at the gap between the haves and the have-nots in the U.S. And so once every show or two, I try to bring in a statistic that puts things into perspective that maybe illustrates that we don't have things as bad off as people would love you to believe. Because what sells, what motivates? Fear. You're right. 
So we're going to play a little guessing game. I'm going to give you a statistic. That statistic is 52,786. Okay? So that number represents X amount of these throughout the United States. Okay? 52,786. The state where most of these are, or not most of, the state where the most of these are in any one state is Texas. Guess. I'm going to give you a second to guess. Say it out loud or develop it in your head. Get your guess. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that there's 50,152 fast food restaurants in the U.S. And that's combined. So you take every fast food place, you add them up, 50,152. So going back to the guessing game, the the items that you're guessing, there's about, I don't know, 1,200 something, something more of these than fast food restaurants. Okay. Now, each one of these contains within it probably 150 to 200 more smaller items. I know it's kind of getting confusing. In 2018, we spent $5 billion building these. And in 2018, the whole industry was $39.5 billion. If you haven't guessed yet what it is, it's storage facilities. And I know you're saying, dude, what does that have to do with the wealth gap? What, what, what does that matter? That's a $30-something billion industry. Like, who cares? What's the deal? Well, the deal is is that Americans have so much crap. We have so many things. We have so much material items that we have to buy little miniature warehouses to put it all in. Most of the time, we have so much stuff that we don't even need the things that we store. We end up letting it rot or go to waste or give it away. Once we get sick of paying the $100 a month, we just give it away. or We let the storage companies keep it. We just quit paying you know, that's how much crap we have. So how can people say that we have it that bad off in the U.S. when there's more storage facilities than there are fast food restaurants? You know what the average occupancy of these storage units is? 92%. 92% full. I really don't need to keep going because I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse. But it puts things into perspective. That that's how good we have it. That we have to store our things because we can't use them. Or, or they're too old and we're not ready to throw them away. We don't want to give them away. We don't want to sell them because we've got plenty of money. So we just pile them up and pay for them to sit <laughs> in a cold, dark room. I mean, imagine going to Honduras. Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cambodia, and say, hey, show me your middle class. Show me, the, show me your middle class. What does it look like? What do they do for a living? What do they have? What do they do for fun? What do they sleep at night? Or better yet, let's go to Norway. We should try to be more like Norway, 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 Norway. Let's go to Norway where beer costs 12 bucks at a bar. And let's say, show me your middle class. Show me where you sleep. Show me what you do. Show me what you do for fun. Where's your storage facility? <laughs> they will look at you like you're crazy. 
Not only do they not have a storage facility, they live in tiny apartments. If they have a car, it's tiny. They probably don't have one or the other, air conditioning or heating, depending where they are. Very, 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 very few countries have both. Air conditioning and heating. I live in Corpus Christi, Texas, where it's probably below 70, less than 45 days a year. Maybe even, I'm just guessing, shooting from the hip. Let's just say that it's 90 days a year. And we still have heaters in our houses. Because that little amount of time, we want to stay warm. We don't want to be cold. You go to Italy, you go to Western Europe, they don't have air conditioners. You go to Spain in the summertime, you go to Italy in the summertime, you're going to sweat. You're going to sweat like crazy. Why is that? Is it because that they just... They don't need it, and they don't want to hurt the environment, so they're not going to put air conditioners? No. It's because it's so expensive, and they don't have the money that we have in the United States. There's trade-offs, people. There's always a trade-off. Capital is finite. The amount of money that's floating around there to be used on things, is there's a cap. There's a number. So what do they give up? What do they... Why don't they have that? Why, don't, why can't they have the things that, that Americans can have? Why can't have, they have the material possessions? And I'll tell you why. Because they have tons of regulations. Regulations cost money. Anytime you force people to do things, whether through laws, whatever, it costs money. Why can't they afford to have an extra truck and two dirt bikes? Like most anyone here could afford to have? Because... A large amount of their paycheck gets taken away so that they can have what? Oh, yeah, free health care. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sick and tired of people being labeled as like heartless, cold-blooded traitors for not having the compassion to have free health care. And that includes me. I have one friend. He's like, you're the most heartless son of a bitch I know. I'm like, call me that if you want to. Maybe I am. But I think people deserve the right to choose whether or not they have, quote unquote, free health care, which is by no means free, or they have an extra truck and two dirt bikes in the garage. Because some people would rather have the dirt bikes and some people would rather have the health care. And by giving the, invi- the individual the money and allowing them to decide where the money goes is better than some invisible hand at the top saying, Give me the dirt bike, give me the trucks, and here's the health care. And you got the guy riding the dirt bikes going, dude, I didn't want the extra health care. I'm happy with the basic health care that I could have bought on my own. It blows my mind how people think that taking decisions away from people is better for them. That the government or some, some body of humans, some collective group can decide, no, 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 this, this is not better for society. This is. You guys don't get to pick what's best for yourselves. We get to tell you what's best for you. You never can give to some without taking from others. You cannot do it. Now, maybe there's a possibility we can do something like cut spending. You know what? You want to you have free health care? Let's end the U.S. Postal Service. Let's end that. Let's cut spending. Let's cut down the military. I'm all about that. You know what? Let's automate the DMV. Let's make it where you can do everything online. You don't need a huge building full of people 
to do things that you can do online. Well, you, you can't. You're going to lose jobs. Yeah, you're going to lose jobs. Whenever they invented the cars, they put the horseshoe guy out of business. They put the horse breeders out of business because we have cars. We have things that are better, that are more efficient. What do the horse breeders do? I don't know. They didn't sit around and collect welfare money. They just found another job. Once again, my whole point is that we don't have it that bad off. And we don't, how do I know that? Because we have storage facilities. That's how I know that. I, w- I would love for someone who disagrees with me to write me an email. I would be happy to talk about this with people. I, I want to hear the other side of the story. I really do. Because I am trying right now more than ever to be objective. I'm trying to look at things from a, from a bird's eye view because I see in plain sight how, how divided we're becoming and how binary people get. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. I just, I just wanted to touch base on the whole uh, wealth gap inequality thing that our middle class has it better than anywhere in the world. And I challenge someone to show me something otherwise. And of course, we can talk about how what defines better, right? What defines better? What defines good? Is it the ability to go get healthcare? Is it the ability to start a business? What is it? In my opinion, it's, it's the ability to decide your future. It's the ability to control your destiny. It's the ability to pick. I want the world's best healthcare or I don't need healthcare. It's the ability to say, I want to go produce pharmaceutical grade drugs, or I would like to sit at home and work on my computer and earn $10 an hour teaching kids in China English in the middle of the night. Why not have those two options and everything in between? Speaking of freedom, recently I, uh, I took a deep dive into the cesspool known as Facebook the other day, and I was looking at a group that I'm in. Uh, in regards to beer. It's all about beer styles and beer types and new beers and beer, 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 nerds, beer, everything, right? And there's this weird stigma in the beer industry that like we should all just be as one. Uh, we should really help each other out. We should never compete for business. And, and, and basically what it is are these people who don't really understand how business works and you know, I'm not saying the beer industry should change and be cutthroat because one of the things that drew me to it was how open and welcoming the people were. You know, it's not like construction where you're out there and you're bidding against each other and it's cutthroat. At the same time, I think healthy competition is good. Who's it good for? Not the brewers, the consumers, okay? Competition always gives a better product for a better price. So as a consumer of beer, one would think that competition amongst beer makers would be good. But in this particular case, a brewer had posted a picture of some silly beer that, uh, a trendy beer. Uh, It's like some sweet, they call it like a milkshake IPA or something that's really thick and it's sweet and it tastes nothing like beer. It looks nothing like beer. It's not really beer but it's got grain-based alcohol in it that's a low percentage, and it's got hops, probably CO2. I don't know. But either way, he, he posted, which was a brewery owner, and he posted, my New Year's resolution is to never make shitty beer like this ever. And it had a picture of like some blue sparkly beer. 
And like all these people went off on this guy and they're like, oh man, that's crappy. You shouldn't talk about other breweries product like that. Um, you know, that's just not cool. And then everyone, you know, they, they dog piled on and they went after this poor brewery. And I said, whatever happened to free speech? We've got to try to stop controlling what people say. You know, in, instead of bashing the guy for his words, why couldn't have people addressed it and said, hey, man, you know what? I actually like that beer. So you may think it's crappy, but other people think it's great. What do you make? Why don't you send us some of your beer and we'll taste it, you know? But instead they judge him as like going against the brewery norm and doing things that breweries shouldn't be doing because, well, we're all in this together. Well, let me tell you something. We're all in this together until we start competing against one another because there will come a point in time where the market of craft breweries is saturated such that we are competing for every single dime. You look at the big breweries, you think they're all touchy-feely, huggy baby with each other? No. They sl- they took out ads in the Super Bowl to slam each other. And so it's great. The craft brewing industry is still awesome right now. Growth is slowing down a little bit. It's starting to taper off, but new breweries are popping up everywhere. And you better believe that once the market's jam-packed, crowded, full of breweries, this whole like open thing is going to go away. And people don't understand that. But my whole point, I spun off as usual. My whole point is that we can't, we can't jump on people for saying what they think. I mean, we can, but what does that do? What is, what's the outcome of that? People will now just keep their mouth shut and we won't know what anyone thinks about anything. And how boring is that? I feel like that's like North Korea. And of course, two extremes right now. But eventually, if, we're, if we take a turn towards something... That's not good. That's not good. Even if we go one inch closer to it, that's not good either. I think we should encourage people to say what they think, but in a respectful way. And if you disagree with someone, let them know that you disagree, but be respectful about it. And this is, this is what social media is doing. It's killing, it's killing that. You know, free speech can be offensive. It, it can, and that's just, that's just the way it goes. If you if you regulate something, if you if you remove freedom in the attempts to control an outcome, you will most certainly end up with pent up frustration and anger. That was Thomas Jefferson. I'm just kidding. I just made it up right now. It's pretty good though, right? The moral of the story is stop telling people what to say. Stop canceling people. The idea should be that you just don't care. You don't care enough. Let them say what they want to say. Who cares? Why do you care what they say? Why do you care who they hate? Why do you care what they do with their money? Unless they're building an army of people who also hate people and promote violence. If they're, if they're gathering and, and threatening people, then sure, we shut them down. But if someone just gives their opinion, we just got to let it go. You can either take the other side and debate them, or you just keep scrolling And that's all I'm going to say about that. So, as I'm sure everyone is aware, last week, they certified the election and a bunch of yahoos stormed the Capitol. And while this was a little lanyap from 2020, it's not all that surprising to me. But I want to be very honest with you. This, I had an epiphany this week. And I'm going to get into exactly what it boiled down to a little bit later. 
But a light bulb went off in my head. And if I could sum it up in four words, it would be, this is just the beginning. Sorry, five words. This is just the beginning. And I'm going to lead you back to that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow my train of thought and not working backwards from that point. So I want to explain to you how I ended up there. So the, the day after the Capitol storming happened, you know, everyone starts firing off their opinions and putting it out there. And although it's not surprising, it's saddening, most everyone took a side on this deal. And all you heard was, oh, if that had been black people, what would have happened? Oh, if that lady would have been a black guy and they would have got shot, what would have happened? Oh, if those would have been Democrats coming in there, what would have happened? And if you look at it from terms of sides, right, whichever side you're on, both sides completely flipped from the summer. So this summer, we had looting, we had rioting, we had burning, we had buildings, we had all this stuff. And one side of this equation was saying, Shoot them all, hang them up to die, put them in handcuffs, haul them off to jail, kill them all. And we had the other side going, hey guys, they're really mad, okay? You guys are killing us, you're killing them, we're all dying. Cops are shooting black people every day. We have a right to burn things down. We have a right to show our frustrations and our anger. And this is the summer of love and, you know, whatever the rhetoric was. We, we knew we had one side who was against it and one side that was... Mm, kind of okay with it. And so now the same people who were okay with those riots back then are against the riots in the, in the Capitol and vice versa. The people who were like, shoot them all, hang them to die are now like, Hey, we had a right to storm it with this thing's been cheated. We didn't rob. We, everything, you know, we were upset. We didn't hurt anyone. The, you know, the cops are the one who shot the lady. Why is no one making a scene about that? And I'm just sitting here watching this going, both you guys have flipped. Both you guys are saying what the other one said last time. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't we just condemn the notion of the action, regardless of who does it, okay? The only reason I think that the the people on the right who are happy with the storming of the Capitol are happy because of what went on in all these cities this summer. So it's like, yeah, now it's payback time, you sons of bitches. And that's not how it should be. We should condemn behavior regardless of who does it, right? Anytime we protest violence with violence, we look like idiots, okay? I mean, at least I think we do. Don't kill black people. You guys just killed five black people in the streets in your protest, yeah, but we're not cops. Hey, it doesn't matter. We're trying to stop people from dying, okay? You don't get a pass because of the reason. Because if we allow people to pick and choose when it's acceptable for people to die during protests and when it's not acceptable for people to die during protests, we're asking men to make those decisions. We're asking humans to, based on their feelings, to make those types of decisions. When really, we should all pull together, left, right, white, black, it doesn't matter. We should say, hey guys, storming the Capitol is not cool. Hey guys, burning down buildings and calling yourself an autonomous zone is not cool. But instead, we're so caught up in our team. We're like a a little flag football team of four-year-olds running around screaming, yeah, but he, 
Yeah, yeah, but he did that first. Yeah, but he did too. Yeah, but him. Stop it. I mentioned that I'm trying to look at things objectively, and I really am. I really am. Whether or not the president is to blame for all this, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't thought that through. I don't think so. I don't think he is. People have made their own decision to bust into that Capitol. And you know what? Every single one of them should have been shot. And, and do you think that this, this binary tribalism ends with us, the general population? No. No. It goes all the way to the top. It's Nancy Pelosi the other day. You know, she gets out there. She talks about, we have to be here. This is time for healing. This is time to come together. And then uh, out of the, the next day, she comes out. She says things like, we have known all along that he and his followers have been unhinged. I'll translate that. We have known all along that he and his followers have been unhinged, right? Nancy, if you weren't a woman and you were an old woman, I would smack you in the face. And I would say, how can you say it's time for healing? And then now call his people names. You realize that almost 50% of the country voted for that guy. You want to pull them to your side? You want them to have trust in you and faith in you? You've got to stop telling them that they're unhinged, that they're stupid. Because you know what? She can't do it because she's stuck in the team me and team you as well. Same thing with Biden. You know, he talks about all this healing and we're going to come together. And he was slamming his hand on the desk saying, that is not acceptable. And he's probably got all kinds of bruises on the bottom side of his arm from doing it. But either way, he says that. And then he goes out in public and he, he makes some comment about, you know, the Trump voters and the Trump supporters. And you know what? You're going to put them into a group like that. You're going to group them all together. There's no way they're going to like you. There's no way they're going to trust in you. And, and I, this, this is why like, I think that they're, they don't even realize it. They don't realize how team me and team you they are going all the way to the top. If they did, they wouldn't use that kind of rhetoric. You want to gain Trump supporters, Pelosi, with your teeth clacking? You want to gain them? Stop trying to impeach Trump with 12 days left. And you want to heal the country? Just ignore Trump. Don't say a thing about him. Don't worry about him. You go forward. Figure out, hey, how can I get all these Republicans, these blue-collar guys that hate my guts, how can I get them to understand what we're trying to do and maybe get on board? That way I can negotiate with them. No, no, no. It's constant pinata. And, and while I think it's good to have a fight, it's good to have a fight over the, the policy line, that's fine. Don't tell me you're here to bring unity and healing. Because you're not. You're going to rule with the same iron fist that Trump rules with. You just don't say what you think. That's the difference. You're not willing to put it out there. He's unfiltered. He says the same things that you think. And the difference is he loses political correctness points. People hate him because of the, the way he says things. And you know what? That's his decision. But at least he doesn't sit around and say, I'm going to bring you together and then tell you you're an idiot. And while I think most all the policy he put into place is good, if he had done things a little bit different, if he had done things a little bit more respectfully and, and tact and poise, he'd have gone down as the greatest president in history. And now, I'm afraid, based on the general public's opinion, 
he might go down as the worst president because people don't look at his policy. They don't look at the laws that were passed, regulations that were changed objectively. It's just how. It's how he did things, not what. Think about if you were a, a boxer, a professional boxer. You're, you're on your way to stardom, and your coach dies. And he's the only coach you trust. He's the only coach you've ever had. You don't know of any other coaches, and you're like, dude, the next best guy is my opponent's coach. How, how can I do that? How can I fight for him? How can I trust him when I know that he's been trying to convince my opponent to knock me out every time we fought? Okay, so think about that scenario. Now think about you being the coach, and you're thinking about, okay, how can I get this guy to listen to me? I know he's going to come to me. I'm going to need to coach him. I want to coach him. I need to get him on my side, and, and I, I coach a little bit differently. How am I going to do this? Would you, would you tell him that he's, he's dumb and the last coach that he had was an idiot, was unhinged? Would you tell him that? No. This is no different than the Trump voters. You can't go to them and tell them that the guy that they worship was unhinged and then expect to have unity. How preposterous is that? Hey, uh, yeah, I know you had another coach, and you know he was really good. You liked him a lot. Um, I couldn't stand the guy, but I realized you liked him. But guess what? He was an idiot. So, yeah, he's dead now. Come on, be with me. How would that work? Or, or, or might you approach it like this? Hey, bud, I know we've been enemies. I've had it out for your coach. He had it out for me. I'm sorry he's passed on. He's gone now. But if you'll come with me and you'll hear me out and you know what? Maybe we can argue. We can have some discussions about the way that we're going to do things, but we don't have to hate each other any longer. I understood why you liked him and maybe he worked for you at the time The people have decided this kind of messes up the analogy a little bit, but the people have decided why he is no longer your coach. So give me a chance. Give me a chance to show you what I can do. And you know what? We'll talk about the policy. We'll fight about it. We'll argue about it. We've got to come together. Let's all come together first, and then we can redivide on policy. But let's just let go of how much we hate each other. And, and you can shift the blame over to the other person if it doesn't work. You can say, hey, I tried to bring us together through unity. Here's what I did, and it didn't work. So he's having it his way. We're not going to have the unity thing. But, but when neither side is willing to extend the olive branch, it's never going to happen. And then I got to thinking, they don't really want it to happen, right? These politicians, they live in the ivory tower and their little bubble. And all they care about is getting reelected and their book deals, who they can get to vote for them, what they can negotiate in their contracts when they, when they get out of office and they start lobbying. So that's really what's most important to these people. And if I was one of those people... I would want diehard fans. I would want people who would be willing to go to blows for me and not, mm, yeah, he's okay. He's kind of good. He's not that good. No, no, no. We don't really care too much about him. And so no different than the media, whenever the media figured out that it's better to produce content and which some people love you and some people hate you, they figured out that that's more profitable, that's more valuable than producing content that everyone kind of is like, mm, okay, I kind of like it. It's not really my side. I'm more right-leaning. The politicians figured that out too. 
they have figured out that it's more valuable to have half the people love you and half the people hate you. And Trump was the first person to do that. And that's it. This is why this is only the beginning. They saw like how powerful his people are. And, and you think you're seeing a division right now? Just wait. Just wait. You're telling me that you don't think Nancy Pelosi would love it if her fans wouldn't gather 30,000, 40,000 people every time she showed up to a rally? You don't think she wants that? You think she's just like 87 years old Speaker of the House because she wants to help the country and just make things better for her great-grandchildren? No. Power is a drug. She's addicted to that. Dianne Feinstein, 93 years old. I think she's a senator, maybe a congressperson. I know she's in California. And I know it's cynical. It's, it's cynical for, for me to say that I think that's her motivation. I, I, just, I just feel like it is. I mean, that's, uh, they're addicted to the feeling of being in that position. So, yeah, they want us divided. We want to be divided. There is no end in the division coming anytime soon. So we sit around. We fight for them. We're willing to go to jail for them. We're willing to die for them, kill for them, defend destruction for them, and they just sit up there and get reelected. <laughs> I'll have to admit, there was something inside of me that kind of liked to see them terrified when those people stormed the Capitol. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying we should ever do it again. I'm just saying, like, oh, poor you. Got a taste of the real world. All the people that you want to love you, this is, this is the end game. This is how they turn out. And those people live in a bubble. They don't know reality. They just build the ant farm and watch the ants. Must be nice. You know, I always say, there's nothing wrong with discussing politics as long as people can, can keep from taking it personally. And I'm beginning to find out that a vast majority of people can't. If you look on Facebook, it is nonstop fighting. It is someone puts their opinion out there. Someone else posts why their opinion is wrong. And that dopamine rush, people are addicted to. So if we're looking at this thing from the big picture, we got politicians who want people to fight. We got people who love to fight that are willing to fight. We have a, a platform whereby people get a dopamine rush when they fight. Why, why do we expect things to change? How do we all of a sudden expect to come back together? I, I'm, I'm thinking that there were, we're not. And that's what the epiphany that I had this week was like, this is just the beginning of division. What am I saying? Am I saying we're headed for a civil war? Or the country's going to split? No, of course not. I won't even begin to predict what the outcome is. But I will say that right now, we're divided. And don't expect us to get any more united unless every single person is willing to change on an individual level. No amount of regulation. See, regulation will actually be fuel to the fire because for every regulation you establish, you're going to have people it hurts and people it helps. That's more division. This, this, this sort of situation that we're in cannot be regulated away. This is one of the perfect examples of things throughout history that you cannot force people to change. They have to make their own decision. And I truly think that, well, the Civil Rights Acts of, of 1964 was good. It was a good thing. I think deep down inside, people were in the process of changing their hearts, the way they felt, the compassion that they felt towards people with a different colored skin. 
And, and, and it just so happened to be right around the time that we put these laws into place. And so I don't like it when people use that as an example of, well, look what, look this, look what the Civil Rights Act of 1964 did. Mm, there's no proof that that really changed. It, it did change the way that we conduct business and the way that we treat people in public. But it did not change the way that people feel deep down inside their hearts. And that's the change that has to happen for us to become united. Could there be some natural disaster, some catastrophe like 9-11? I mean, you would think that COVID would do it, right? 9-11, how many people died? 3,000 brought our whole country together for, for at least six months, right? We, not, we bombed another country. We beat them up. Hell yeah, America, America. Okay, here we are, split back apart again. So could some natural disaster or catastrophe do it? Sure, maybe temporarily, but it could do it. But I think more importantly, it's going to be a change that's going to have to happen on the individual level. And so if I believe that, your question to me might be, well, what are you doing, Brandon? What are you doing on an individual level to promote unity? And the only thing I can say is I don't participate in the Facebook that much. I'm tempted to just, I've taken it off my phone. I check it on the computer a couple times a day during the work day. I've gotten, I've seen a bunch of posts that like I see them and I just, I kind of build a little bit of rage and I want to respond, but I'm stopping myself because it does absolutely no good other than it shows you who the people are that you want to put in your echo chamber and who the people are that don't belong inside of your echo chamber. And I truly believe that the, the best way a country can run is to have a group of people with varying opinions, but they still respect each other and they respect those opinions. So there's a guy at the brewery named Josh. He's kind of my right-hand guy, me and Kale. He's, he's, our, he's our number two. He is very, very opposed to the, the rhetoric of the right and the opinions of the conservative. He's very liberal, very left. But you know what? I respect the guy. He's a hard worker. He does what he says he's going to do. We, we argue about politics. We bitch all the time. But you know what? That relationship, the respect that I have for him and how much I like him and I see what he does, that overcomes his, his policy theory. So I don't, it doesn't take away from how I feel about him. In fact, if you respect someone and they have the ability to present to you another side of the story, you can listen to it. You know, there's things there that, that maybe you don't see. And that's where we have to try to get. That's where we have to be. And that doesn't happen on Facebook. It will never, ever, 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 ever happen on social media. Because the things that prevent us from saying things that we would love to say in person, but we don't, are not present in social media. And my initial thought to that was kind of like, well, I mean, social media, who cares? Man, they're powerful. They, the whole big tech censorship thing at first, I was like, nah, who cares? They're private companies. They can do whatever they want to do. But now they've shut down the president. They've shut him down. He has no way to communicate. And, and he can't just like make some fake account because he's lost in the numbers, right? So he's got to be verified. So you, somehow or another, you have to prove that it's him. And there's only like two platforms that can speak to everyone. Twitter and Facebook. 
And I don't know, man. I mean, that's power. That is power. When you can shut down the president of the United States, well, then he was like, well, I'm just going to go use Parler, right? Some other app, social media app, which I, I haven't messed with it at all. But so then Apple threatened to not let Parler be on their platform. Actually, I think they kicked him off, Apple and Google. So, I mean, I don't know what the solution is, but these guys are powerful. I think antitrust laws have been kicked into place on way less powerful companies. And I think this situation has shown us just how powerful they are. That's it. I'm not saying we should do anything. I don't know yet. We need some time. Think this through. You know, most people rush to conclusions and they get all worked up and they say we got to shut them down. I don't know what the solution is. I'm just saying over the last week, you've seen exactly how much power they have. Anybody who can put a cap on the U.S. president is pretty powerful. <laughs> I had a buddy the other day who said, man, Trump should just hijack the emergency broadcast system and use that for his Twitter. I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, think about how mad people would get. Well, I don't know. We're here. It doesn't matter. I feel like Biden's a president. Um, you know, I I went from my, my stages of content went from hopeful that Trump would win to surprised when he lost to a little bit angry after that to now I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. Like all I can do, unless I'm willing to go into politics and change things myself, all I can do is live my life, make the best decisions for myself as I possibly can. And I think people lose sight of that. They forget that they've got their own problems. You've got a huge number of things that you can do in your own life to make it better or worse. And who the president is doesn't have a huge impact on that. It can, it can, but no matter what, if you're the type of person who's willing to work hard and be honest and take care of your business and take care of your kids and do all the things that responsible grown folks are supposed to do, you'll be fine. Because if the president makes a decision that affects the entire country, it affects the entire country. And all you got to do is better than your neighbors, right? It's all a big curve. And chances are that something negatively affects you, it negatively affects everyone else in the entire country. I know that that might not be so comforting, but if you can make it and you can do well with a Republican president, you can make it and do well with a Democrat president. Just remember what went wrong. For the record, I do think we need to reform the election process for the federal government. I don't understand why the federal government... Well, I do know. When they established the election process, there was no easy way to exchange information. So our founding fathers put in the Constitution that states manage their own elections. All that's changed. It's time for an amendment. Let's set some guidelines. Let's let the federal elections be conducted by one authority. And, and even if you think that we weren't cheated and everything was perfect and there was no voter fraud, how can you be against it? How can you be against it? it just, it's just cleaner. Maybe there was none now, but maybe there will be some in the future. And having one authority oversee all the elections would mitigate the risk of it happening. 
Okay, that's enough of political ramblings. My goodness, why y'all let me go off on those kind of tangents? Hopefully nobody tuned out. I realized the other day that I <laughs> hadn't really told any stories from my travels uh, that I said that I was going to tell on here, but I don't know. I thought of a good one the other day, and um, it was me and my buddy Steven and his boss, whose name is Conrad. We were in Alaska, and their company had this boat that we were going to use to go moose hunting. And so we, we got this boat, and it was an outboard engine, you know, steering wheel, tiny little boat, but, but big enough for three guys and all their gear to go upriver. So we get this boat, we load it all up, we go upriver, and I'm driving the boat. And so we're about, I don't know, two and a half hours into our journey. We were going to go all the way upriver, set up a camp, and then get up the next day, go upriver with just our guns and go looking for moose. And so we did that. We found a camping spot. We got set up. We got the boat unloaded. We got our tents up. Everything's good to go. We stayed up, drank some whiskey. The next morning, 4.30, 5 o'clock, rolls around. We load up in the boat. We take off. And we stopped. We set up. We didn't see much. We get back in the boat. We start going. And all of a sudden, the motor cuts off. It just stops. And I'm like, uh-oh. I wonder if it's out of fuel. Check the fuel. It's got fuel. And Conrad, who was the president of this company at the time, uh, the president of the company that owned this boat, was like, come on, man, crank that thing up. Let's go. I'm like, I don't know what happened. He goes, just try to start it. And so I go to turn the key. Nothing. You know, it's not even trying to fire off. And then all of a sudden, white, milky substance starts pouring out of the engine cowling where the motor is. And we're like, Oh, no, that's not good. So it was oil mixed with water. So somehow or another, water got into the engine, which is not supposed to happen. It got into the where the oil is. And it at that point, you know there's no starting it. Okay, For, for the non-mechanical people, when you have oil and water coming out of your engine at the same time, it's not going to crank. So here we are, way in the middle of nowhere... No phone service, no nothing, with a boat and no engine and a river. So at that point, we thought we should probably start trying to get back to camp. It was like middle of the day. And so luckily, camp was downriver. So we go and we get stuck and we have to hop out and you got to push the boat and get back in the boat. And it was an ordeal. I think it took us about nine hours to get back to our camp. And we were exhausted, and it was dark, and it was kind of rainy, drizzly. (laughs) And we realized that we were still a full day, at least, maybe more, from being back to where our trucks were. So, man, we sat there, and we pounded whiskey all night. And the next morning, we all kind of decided, let's just go home. (laughs) There's nothing we can do. We got a broken boat. We got no moose anywhere near us. I don't think we saw anything. And like, I'm the kind of person that if you got to deal with something like that, it would be hard to enjoy the trip if you just went up until that point. So we loaded back up everything into the boat, took the tents down, and we just started going down river. We could only go at the, at the pace of the river. So I think it took us like 14 hours to get back to the boat ramp. 
We had no paddles. We had nothing, right? So we're this boat, and we're just going down. Sometimes we're going backwards. Sometimes we're going sideways. Sometimes we're going forward. Sometimes we're stuck, and we all got to get out and push the boat. And so we ended up back at their uh, their production facility. So it's just a a big, basically a development out in the middle of nowhere where they have these you know temporary houses and stuff for the the guys that are working out there to stay in. They got a full kitchen, a full kitchen staff. Well, luckily at that time, there was nothing going on. So there was only like three guys in this giant place. It was like a hotel. But they were still doing all the meals and everything for them. So instead of just going back to Anchorage, we just posted up there for like three days. <laughs> they have a big screen, giant theater. We were watching football. It was, you know, during the weekend. Watched football all weekend. They fed us like kings. And uh, we finally made our way back to Anchorage. But <laughs> that was one of our infamous hunting stories, man. Me and Steven, uh, whenever we go hunting, things are just destined to go wrong. I don't know what it is, but every single time we go hunting together, it ends up in a disaster. And with that, I shall wrap things up. I think that's the longest podcast I've ever done on my own. I've got to go do the rest of the Sunday things. Do the laundry, take out the trash, sweep up the dog hair from the floor. Blah, 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 blah. I do want to encourage everyone to do one thing. I encourage you to manage the amount of time you spend on Facebook and Twitter or whatever app that you find yourself fighting with people or arguing or getting upset or, you know, you know the feeling that I'm talking about. You know how it feels whenever you're like, oh, if they would just see things from my point of view and they could just understand what I'm saying. Like, you know that feeling. So whatever app or website that makes you feel that way, restrict the amount of time you spend on it. And try to wean yourself off. I really think that if everyone canceled all their social media, it would be a different place. And I know that's unrealistic, possibly utopian, but if we can just make little steps, if we can just get a little bit closer to being back to where we were, which is respecting each other, not becoming super emotional, and knowing where to draw the line. I can tell you that I've done it, and it feels great. It really does. It feels great to be able to scroll past a post knowing that I have 100 in 80 degree viewpoints and then I would love to try to correct them and make them see things from my point of view but it's not worth it there's no reason to do it that way it's better to have these conversations in person I don't know I would encourage you to give that a shot it's like I always say express your opinions but be respectful it's very hard to do that online it's hard to do that from social media because we expect we, we assign a feeling we picture someone with a tone of voice when they're putting those words on the screen and, the, and the, the tone of voice that we imagine can change how we feel about that comment. But I'm going to stop repeating myself now. My whole point is do whatever it is you have to do to change the way how you feel when it comes to politics and division and all that stuff. And I hope a lot of you are listening saying, you know what? I really don't care about politics that much anyway. It really doesn't change the way I feel. Whether or not we have Trump and Officer Biden or teeth clacking Nancy Pelosi up there. I don't really care, because I'll tell you what, that's what I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get there. Once again, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name is Brandon Harper.
This is an hour and 10 minutes long so far. Lucky for you, it's free 99. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Email me. Tell me what's up. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. And most importantly, keep it tranquilo. The only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. The only boy who could ever teach me was the son of a preacher man. Yes, he was. He was. Yes, he was. Talking to me, you come and tell me everything is alright. You kiss and tell me everything is alright. Can I get away again tonight? The only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. The only boy who could ever teach me was the son of a preacher man. Yes, he was. He was. Yeah.